Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. John Vaught. He is the CEO of Front Range Biosciences. You guys are doing some crazy stuff. Uh, how you doing today, John? I'm good. Thank you, Tim. How are you doing? I'm I'm great, you know. I'm I'm real excited to get at the meat of uh, what you and your company does. Uh, but before that, uh, I want to know about you, man. What's what's uh, what's your background? How'd you get started in the space? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I uh, actually I, I I grew up in North Carolina and uh, I did my uh, BS in chemistry at North Carolina State and uh, my PhD in organic chemistry at the University of Colorado uh, at Boulder. And uh, so I'm a, I'm a hardcore organic chemist is, is my background. Um, I uh, actually started my career in, uh, in molecular diagnostics um, while I was in graduate school. And I uh, worked for a startup company here in Boulder, Colorado called Somalogic. And uh, we were working on using the human proteome to better understand uh, chronic illness, things like cancer, heart disease, uh, inflammation, and, uh, and, and other chronic illnesses like that. Uh, we worked uh, with some big pharma companies, some big diagnostic companies, and uh, developed the world's largest proteomic biomarker discovery platform. So we would just look at a group of proteins and blood and then use it to predict disease outcomes. Um, I spent about five and a half years doing that. And uh, then I went to uh, another uh, startup company in the molecular diagnostic space. Uh, and that company, by the way, we grew um, to over, when I started, it was a little less than 20 people, and we grew to over 120 while I was there. And today, they're, they're over 200 um, and, and into the tens of millions uh, in revenue. Um, then I went to a company called Beacon Biotechnology uh, for food safety. Uh, they brought me on to develop a pathogen detection platform for, uh, for food processing. So this was uh, t detecting bugs that make people sick, things like salmonella, E. coli, listeria, and uh, building a molecular um, test uh, that would allow uh, large food processors to test this uh, on the factory floor uh, in a large scale. Uh, after a couple of years there, I went to help uh, my former PhD advisor, uh, Bruce Eaton, start a, uh, another molecular diagnostics company called Velocity Sciences, uh, and that was back on the human side. And um, I spent about two years getting that company off the ground with him. Uh, we were doing similar work to what we did at Somalogic, uh, working with, with several uh, companies uh, around drug development and better understanding uh, certain uh, pathways and disease, and then building new technologies uh, to help them do uh, diagnostic tests. Uh, that's when I really uh, was was starting to pay attention to the cannabis industry. I'd always been uh, fascinated. It was actually my original inspiration for organic chemistry was was uh, what uh, nature does with plants and a lot of the interesting compounds that are produced in plants. Uh, and so that that's kind of what sparked my interest. And uh, so as the cannabis industry uh, became legal here in Colorado, uh, I began to to look at it more seriously as a way that I could begin to uh, to actually take some of my formal training and and apply it to uh, to this this emerging uh, industry. And uh, so originally started thinking about uh, spinning up a division within that company and uh, realized the corporate and regulatory uh, constraints were uh, too severe uh, for what what we could do within that company. So I decided to spin out one. And that was the birth of uh, Front Range Biosciences uh, a little over uh, two years ago. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of how uh, how I got into the into the cannabis space. And uh, I went very 
quickly from uh, analytical testing and formulation type uh, work uh, to looking at agricultural technology, just seeing there was a huge need from growers uh, to get access to the tools that had been developed for other farmers and other crops um, that they just hadn't had access to due to prohibition. And uh, so that was that kind of became the foundation for Front Range and uh, how we got started. So and then and then you bring Front Range, uh, you end up in the Canopy Boulder uh, Accelerator uh, of some really great stuff has come out of this. Um, and uh, so. T- tell me about your experience with Canopy Boulder. How, how did that program help get you off the ground? And, and what did you learn from participating in the accelerator? It was it was a great experience. So uh, one of our other uh, co-founders, Nick Hoffmeister, who's our uh, COO, um, he had actually been a mentor at Canopy Boulder for at least a year or so. Uh, he was also a mentor at Techstars. Um, he's definitely the, the business brains of our uh, of, of our company. I, I have some of that, but, but not as much as he does. He's got an MBA from MIT. And, uh, anyways, as he had that relationship there, uh, we began to talk to them about potentially participating. And, uh, so we decided to, uh, to do that. And we were fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to join the program last year. And, uh, it, it was a really wonderful experience. So, uh, between Nick and I, we actually have eight, eight biotech company, uh, startups under our belt. Um, and so the kind of business building, Entrepreneurship 101 was was not our main goal. Um, it was really to build uh, some relationships and the investor network for the cannabis industry, as well as the just just the, the broader industry relationships. So potential customers, vendors, um, you know, uh, potential partners, collaborators, and uh, and to really get get some exposure to that space. Um, and and you know, the the business building 101 was was very helpful as well. You know, it's always great to have a structured environment. To, to help get things organized. Um, but uh, yeah, so overall, uh, it really helped us a bunch. Uh, it helped us land uh, some of our, our first uh, investor conversations and our first investments. Um, went out and pitched at Demo Day at the Boulder Theater, which was great. Got exposure to, you know, close to a thousand people. Um, and uh, yeah, it was overall, it was a really positive experience. Uh, Micah Tapman and Patrick Ray are, uh, are, are great guys to work with. Uh, we still actively uh, work together with them whenever we have the chance, um, you know, whether it's just networking or uh, mentoring other companies in the program. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it's a great relationship. So so getting into the meat now of what Front Range Biosciences does, um, explain to me, you know, I'm a layperson, what cloning tissue actually is and how do you grow a plant using this method? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so traditional cloning, which is what most people do in cannabis, um, is, is technically called vegetative propagation. Uh, this is where you take cuttings from a plant, and these are usually referred to as mother plants, um, not only in the cannabis industry, but, but also other industries. And uh, you take cuttings from these plants, you dip them in some type of rooting hormone um, and some type of nutrients occasionally, you put them into a rooting plug, uh, it could be some type of media, um, cocoa, rock wool, uh, even soil, and it grows roots and you have a new baby plant. Um, this is the most basic traditional form of cloning. It's been done for you know, thousands of years. And uh, tissue culture is really just an advanced technique um, or advanced way of doing this. So the challenge with or the problem with traditional cloning or vegetative propagation 
is that whatever pathogens, so you've got bacteria, you've got fungi, you've got uh, things like uh, bugs, so mites, um, aphids, you've also got potential viruses. So one thing that everybody's probably very familiar with is tobacco mosaic virus. Uh, it's something that, that, that uh, came from the tobacco plant. Um, but anyways, all of these different pathogens can be found on any number of plants, including cannabis. So when you take a cutting from a mother plant that has these pathogens, you've now just passed them right on to the offspring. So your clone now has those same pathogens. Now, when you start fresh and you do it the first couple of times, you know, usually the plant, if it's alive and healthy and doing well, uh, it can actually, you know, survive because it's, it's learning to live with these pathogens and it's doing okay. Over time, as you clone again and again and again and again, the plant gets weaker, its immune system gets weaker, the pathogens get stronger, and you eventually can end up with massive disease outbreaks. Um, powdery mildew is a great example of something that's plaguing the cannabis industry all over the place. Um, you know, you go take, you know, let's say you've got a hundred moms and you take a few thousand cuts from them and you go populate your grow room with them. If your moms were not healthy and they had any type of pathogen and it could even be hidden, you might not even be aware that they had it. And then you put those few thousand plants in your grow room you know, I have a huge disease outbreak. So uh, that's the big problem with traditional cloning. It also gets hard to scale, meaning that you can only produce as many clones as you can grow mothers. So you have to grow, you know, if you want to produce a million baby plants, you probably have to grow 100,000 mother plants or maybe, you know, 50,000, depends on how many cuts you take from each plant. Tissue culture gets around this by uh, starting out with your cutting in a sterile environment. So we take plant material from a mother plant and then we put it into uh, a cleaning process. Basically we do a series of washes, um, and then we get it into a tissue culture medium. And this is basically just the most core ingredients that a plant needs to survive certain salts, nutrients, occasionally some hormones. It's in a sterile environment, meaning the container that it gets put into has been uh, sterilized. So there's no bacteria, no fungus, no bugs, nothing present. And then uh, from there, the, uh, the plant begins to grow. And this, this is called the initiation process. This is actually one of the hardest parts of tissue culture is getting the plant stable, clean, healthy in this new microenvironment. Uh, you generally do it in a laboratory in a sterile hood, you know, it requires some, some laboratory equipment. It's not something you just do in your greenhouse. Um, once you get it into initiation, this process can take anywhere from three to six, even nine months, depending on how diseased the plant was, uh, how healthy it was and what the specific genetics are. Then once you have it stabilized, then you can begin to do the multiplication stage, which is basically where you amplify the number of plants. So you start with one tiny little cut, and I mean tiny as in like, you know, one little node. So maybe one or two tiny leaves, a tiny little stem, less than an inch. And as you grow this in the multiplication stage, you create more shoots, and they call that shooting. You cut the shoots, then you do the same thing. You then plant those, and you do this over and over again, but you're doing it in these very small Tupperware containers. So for example, I can fit around 8,000 plants on a four by two bookshelf that's got, or a four by two set of stainless shelves, like kitchen shelving or whatever. Um, you know, you can, there are five to six levels. Uh, you know, I can fit several thousand plants per level. So it's a very small space to have a very large number of plants. 
From there, we just take them through a pretty standard, uh, it's a little bit different than the traditional cloning, but a pretty standard rooting process. You change the hormone and nutrient mix, you get them to, to grow roots, and then you transfer them to a rooting plug where they continue to develop those roots, and then they go through an acclimatization process, which is basically where they come out of their in vitro or their sterile environment into their natural world. They're exposed to normal light, temperature, humidity, all of the things that they're going to see in either an indoor grow, a greenhouse, or outdoors. <clears throat> At this point, the process really becomes uh, the same. You're getting the plants hardened off and ready for production. Um, the advantage, though, is that we can do this 10,000 or 100,000 plants at a time. Um, they're all uniform. They're all healthy. They're disease-free. Uh, they're stable. They're vigorous. Um, so in other plants, you generally see more vigorous growth. Uh, you see uh, much more reproducible starts from, from all of your clones. And so it's just a much more efficient way uh, to do cloning. So... That was a long-winded answer to your question, but uh, but but hopefully that that did it. So I'm sure you've seen the episode of Futurama where where Fry's in the in the <laughs> you know in in that little tube, and this is what I envision that that you you have a lot of little clones, fry fry clones in these tubes. You know, from from a layman, that's that's how I sort of. Uh, You're exactly right. You're exactly right. We've got pictures on our website, and there, sometimes we do it in test tubes. Sometimes we use uh, these small square boxes, which look like Tupperware containers um, that are plastic. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. And it's a little, uh, you know, it's an interesting gelatinous substance that they grow in. Uh, it's just got a few salts and, uh, and some nutrients for the plant. Um, and then we put them under lights and, and let them grow. So, but it is a very specialized process. So I'm going to ask you some uh, some more in depth questions about uh, this whole process, the results, what you what uh, what results you you get. But before we do that, we got to take a break. This is Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. If you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry, Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look. Visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States, from entry-level bud tender positions to executive-level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. Companies who are listed in the Gontrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with CEO of Front Range Biosciences, Dr. John Vaught. Um, before the break, you you, you explained uh, the, the cloning tissue process um so so just a couple of questions about that you what you're telling me is you would actually need less plants to create these clones than you would the traditional method is that right yes exactly so once we get through the initiation phase we begin to build up inventory of these uh, plantlets is, is generally what we refer to them as um and we can amplify that, you know, for months, even years, all from the same clone line without necessarily having to go back to another mother plant. 
Um, so that's how we can build up that inventory without, you know, and save so much space compared to uh, traditional cloning where you have to grow, you know, a greenhouse full of mother plants. That's, that's incredible. Um, so, so I've, I've read quite a bit about, you know, uh, some of the, I guess, byproducts of this process and, you know, it's lauded as, is more environmentally friendly than traditional methods. Can you go into detail about how that ends up the case? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from a high level, I, I think um, one of the biggest ways that it that it helps, you know, broadly uh, in terms of being more environmentally friendly is that it improves efficiency. So, you know, you're using less energy to produce the same number of baby plants. Um, you know, that's that's the basic premise. Um, you're able to do this because, as I just mentioned, you know, you can use a much smaller footprint. You know, we can in our tissue culture nursery, uh, for example, we might have several hundred thousand, even millions of plants in inventory, and that takes up, you know, maybe a thousand square feet of space, maybe 500 square feet of space. That's it. And we're using, you know, low intensity lights, um, you know, very simple climate control. So our footprint to keep that inventory of plants is much smaller. Now, we do still have to go through the eventual hardening off and rooting and getting the, the plants out. But, you know, we've saved all of that space that, or that energy that would have been dedicated to creating, you know, let's say a few thousand mothers to get the same number of cuts. Uh, we've now saved all that energy. So that's the first way. The second way is really about minimizing uh, disease outbreaks and uh, minimizing the use of pesticides. So part of, a, of, our, of our tissue culture nursery program, uh, a, key, a key point that, uh, or a key component of it that I didn't bring up yet is called the Clean Stock Program. So we're developing uh, what we think is the first clean stock program in cannabis, and it's been used in other industries. And the way a clean stock program works is once we get through that initiation phase, we have the plants in a very clean, healthy environment. We know and can guarantee that they're pathogen-free at that stage. That's part of the clean stock program. And is, is the way we do that is we actually run a series of tests. So these are tests for certain pathogens. It could be viral. It could be bacterial, fungal. Um, we do these uh, different tests, which is you know not so different than the type of molecular diagnostic work that I used to do. Um, we use that to basically certify that this batch of plants is disease-free. And so that's kind of the, the basic definition of the clean stock program. So what this means is less pesticides. So instead of getting a bunch of traditionally cut clones that might be infested with aphids, mites, powdery mildew, whatever you might be battling, depending on your, your growth region, you now have plants that are you know, disease free. They're healthy. You can start them off with a very clean start. And they may get exposed to pathogens once they get into your greenhouse and you grow or even outdoors, but because they've started their life without those pathogens, they're generally much stronger, healthier plants and will require much less pesticides over time, um, especially early on. Cause once a plant gets to a certain size and is vigorous and healthy, um, you know, a lot of times it has natural pest, uh, defense. And, uh, we, we even are starting to see that in, uh, in certain cannabis varietals, which is a whole nother topic for us, but on our varietal development program and looking at disease resistance. But to summarize, I think, uh, minimizing pesticide use and increasing efficiency, uh, everything from energy to labor and everything else, um, are the ways that, uh, tissue culture, 
uh, is more environmentally friendly. When you rolled this out, when you when you you know started offering the service, did people within the industry who were using you know the, the traditional message did they look at you like you had like three heads? Yes, absolutely. And you know, to be honest, tissue culture is hard. Uh, doing a new plant like cannabis that's never been done in tissue culture, um, you know, and some plants are easier than others. Uh, you know, you might argue that that potatoes are, are easier in some ways, right? You can stick a potato on your counter and it'll grow roots. Um, cannabis doesn't exactly do that. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's very challenging. A few people had read some things on the internet. A few folks had actually started to build some tissue culture programs and tried it out. Um, and had very limited success. And so there was a lot of skepticism. You know, people were, uh, were, were very, you know, very much questioning, you know, whether or not this would work. Um, some people would get confused and, and think it was GMO or something. And so anyway, so, so there was a little bit of education, but, um, as, as we began to get out, uh, in the public and, you know, we've, we've talked about it more. We've also started to demonstrate, uh, some early success, um, with, you know, getting some rooted plants back, you know, that result in clean, healthy, vigorous, uh, you know, plants that, that people are happy with, um, you know, then they started to, uh, to understand. And uh, now we have people that are asking for it all over the country. And that's why we're, we're trying to grow as quickly as we can so that we can try to scale uh, and meet some of that demand. So what do you think is the importance of you devising these new methods? Uh, not, not just you, but there's there's other people out there that are, you know, working on different ways to lower the energy footprint of the industry. Um, you know, so so I guess my question is, what's what's the importance of, of new methods as cannabis cultivation proliferates nationwide? Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it and it you know it's. It's great timing for it too, because it's it's where you know the industry is in a major transition right now, uh, as it spreads not only within this country but around the world, and so you know from a high level, this is agriculture. This is just like growing any other crop, whether it's for food or you know nutraceuticals or you know or even ornamental plants. Um, you know this is agriculture, and agriculture is farming. So you're growing plants trying to produce them in high quantities, uh, you know, with, with good results, good production levels. And, you know, in general, it's very labor intensive. It takes a lot of time. It requires significant energy inputs. So this results in, you know, what we see in our, our current agricultural uh, industry worldwide, which is, you know, you've got a lot of commodity crops out there. And it basically becomes, you know, a little bit of a race to the bottom, meaning who can grow the most and the highest product, the highest yield for the least amount of money. And, you know, in the early days of an industry, like, you know, right now where we're at in cannabis, you know, it's a fairly high margin business. You know, if you do it right, you know, at least for a shorter period of time, you open up a new market in a new state, and, you know, nobody's had access to this plant. Now, all of a sudden, they've got access to it. And, you know, the price per pound is very, very high. And you sell out. You can't even keep it on your shelves. However, as more and more producers come online and they get more effective and more efficient at, at production, then it starts to lower the price. It's simple supply, demand, uh, you know, economics. And so uh, as the price begins to drop, then competition starts to kick in. And then now you have, you know, businesses competing and, you know, the price is constantly going, you know, lower and lower. We've seen this firsthand in Colorado. 
You can also look in new markets like Massachusetts, for example, where the price per pound is probably four or five X what it is in Colorado today. Is it going to last that way? I don't think so. Um, so it's really important for growers. And this is, you know, once again, they were just taking lessons from all of the crops that came before this one. Growers have to be more efficient. And as they try to scale up, you know, it's one thing to have a little backyard farm or even a few thousand square feet, uh, you know, a little greenhouse or whatever. But when you go to industrial scale agriculture, where you're producing millions of plants, for example, growing and harvesting, you know, tons and tons of product, you have to be efficient. You have to be organized. You have to have quality control. You have to have SOPs, all of these things that make it work and allow you to, to you know, maintain that low cost of production. So I think it's incredibly important. And uh, fortunately, in the last 20 to 30 years, there's a lot of great technology that's been developed and, um, you know, for other crops. So bringing that into cannabis is, uh, is, you know, is a great opportunity. And then another interesting, uh, you know, facet of this conversation is that, you know, the cannabis industry itself now is actually driving new innovation in things like greenhouse design, indoor growing, lighting, um, you know, all of these other things, because it's, it's such a high margin crop right now. That all of these, uh, you know, all of these companies that produce these kind of ancillary pieces are, you know, driving new innovations forward. And uh, so I actually was just talking to a greenhouse manufacturer the other day and they said, it's incredible. You know, the last 50 years, you know, greenhouse innovation was just kind of plugging along at, you know, a snail's pace in the last three years. It's just, you know, it's skyrocketed. So there's all kinds of new designs coming out, new technologies. So it's, it's a really exciting time in general, um, you know, for, uh, for innovation and for improving efficiency. And, uh, you know, that's really what, what we're trying to do with our tissue culture clean stock program. Are, are you guys subject to the same sort of regulations about transporting, you know, over state lines with just the tissue of the, of the plant? Does it still fall under those regulations? Yeah. So, so technically, you know, we, we take a very conservative approach to regulatory. Um, you know, we're, we're actively trying to, to build relationships at both the state regulatory level and then even the federal regulatory level. Uh, Cause you know, whether we like it or not, uh, you know, that's going to be the path to, uh, to building this industry is, is working with those groups. Um, and so, you know, the conservative interpretation is that, you know, any plant material that's, that's cannabis, you know, is not legal to move across state lines currently because it's under the Controlled Substances Act. Um, however, the 2014 Farm Bill around industrial hemp has, has offered some level of protection for plants that contain less than 0.3% THC. So you're starting to see, you know, some companies moving hemp products or CBD products um, around state to state. Um, even seeds are, are, are getting moved. Often, you know, the way this is done legally is, you know, usually through that state's Department of Agriculture. Um, there are even some groups and universities uh, and, and I think even some companies that are working uh, with the DEA, for example, to get uh, to get permits or clearance as well um, to move certain types of industrial hemp products. Um, but unfortunately, right now, uh, you know, until the, uh, the till the federal regulatory status changes for this plant, um, you know, shipping uh, tissue cultures across state lines, uh, you know, is, is not something that uh, 
that we would propose that anyone do. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's, uh, it would necessarily be viewed as a legal activity, uh, especially by the federal government. So, um, you know, at, at this stage, it's, uh, it's, it's still considered illegal. Well, I, I want to talk to you a bit more about uh, your um, your fundraising activity, your, your investment sort of uh, your, your investment activity. But before we do that, we got to take a second break. This is Entrepreneur.com podcast from TG Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey there, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Dr. John Vaught, CEO, Front Range Biosciences. Um, so so uh, t- tell me a bit about you know the success of your seed round. Uh, the, your COO, uh, Nick Hoffmeister, he described it as greater than expected. Um, so, so tell me, you know, from from your point of view about that that experience and how it's helped shape your your company's growth thus far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we were very, very fortunate uh, to have uh, you know a, a good network of investors. Um, it took a lot of of, of uh, networking and and a lot of a lot of relationship building uh, to build that up, uh, which really all started with Canopy. Um, so they were definitely uh, gave us a good foundation to work from. But um, but yeah, we were very fortunate, very successful. Uh, we went out to raise a million dollars as part of our seed or as our seed round, and uh, we oversubscribed it, and uh, then uh, ended up taking in a million and a half on that seed round. Um, we closed that uh, earlier this year uh, in uh, early February, and uh, we actually had oversubscribed that, but we we didn't want to take any more um, than the one and a half at that point, and so uh, it was a very uh, great position to be in. Um, you know. 
It was a lot of work. We uh, we went after uh, you know a lot of uh, more traditional uh, angel groups. Um, you know that that were generally outside of the cannabis industry. Um, so uh, one of the first groups that, that had uh, the most intense due diligence process uh, of all of the investment um, was the Sandhill Angels. And uh, they were a wonderful group to work with. Um, you know, they're out of Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, they're known for their diligence process. We knew what we were getting into. And uh, but we, you know, we, we went there several times. Uh, we, we built relationships. Uh, we presented um, and, and pitched, uh, their, their large meetings and, uh, and, and were very successful, um, you know, getting them on board. And, uh, and then, uh, after that, we were able to get groups like, uh, the Harvard business school angels, uh, New York angels. Um, and then we also had some, uh, some, some private equity or, or institutional, uh, money as well. Um, that, uh, that, that, that came into that round. And so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of work, uh, but you know, we, we did it in about, well, I guess from start to finish, uh, it was, you know, about seven or eight months, um, to, to, to close all of that money. And, you know, during that time we started operations, we made our first hires, we, you know, renovated the first phase of the laboratory and, uh, we had a lot of things going on. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a really great experience. Um, we've got a great family of investors. Uh, a lot of them are uh, actively engaged in the company. Um, you know, there was also uh, a fair number of, of individual angels, um, you know, that, that came out of, uh, you know, whether it was the Northeast or the West Coast um, or even in the Midwest. Uh, you know, we had, we had groups uh, or individuals come out of each of those uh, regions. And, um, you know, a lot of them are still actively engaged in the company. They, uh, they, they've been making introductions for us. A lot of them have experience from, uh, from their careers, uh, you know, that they, they can give us feedback on certain aspects of our company and our, and our growth plans. Um, so it's been great. We've got a, a, a lot of great relationships there. And, uh, and actually, since that seed round, uh, we went out and, and raised another round uh, just over the summer. And uh, we're actually just in the process of closing that. And so we'll be, uh, we'll be issuing uh, a press release here uh, about that. Uh, with exact numbers and details sometime in the next few weeks. Um, so stay tuned for that. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a very good uh, fundraise and it's really enabled us to, um, you know, to, to focus on building the right infrastructure, the right team. Um, you know, we, one of the big milestones was we just brought on uh, Cecilia Zapata. Uh, she's a 30 year tissue culture uh, veteran. Uh, she's got a PhD from Texas A&M. She's worked at companies like Driscoll, Syngenta, um, uh, let's see, Ball Horticultural, uh, a lot of the, the, the big uh, agricultural companies and other crops. And uh, she's literally produced, you know, many, many millions of plants uh, in her career. She's built facilities in places like China and Mexico um, and California that, that can produce millions of clones a year and some of these other crops. Um, so bringing on uh, people like that uh, has, has, has been, uh, you know, has been enabled by, by that, uh, that, that great uh, investor support that we've had. So, um, so you know, we're, we're going to continue to grow. We're expanding our uh, our activities here in Colorado. 
um, you know, building out more capacity both for hemp clones as well as uh, as uh, as marijuana clones. As we work with uh, some of the licensed uh, MED producers or cultivators on the marijuana side, and then we uh, we have our own uh, hemp nursery that 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 we're uh, that we're pushing out that we'll be offering clones through uh, in in spring of next year. Um, and then we're also actively uh, expanding into California. So we're, uh, we're, I'm actually going to be out there. I'm flying out tomorrow, um, but I'm spending a lot of time out there uh, building some relationships. We've already got lots of growers that we're uh, working with out there and uh, actively uh, identifying space that we can, uh, we can uh, start our operations there, uh, which we intend to be uh, operational in, in California in 2018. So, um, so yeah, so, so the, the, the strong investor support um, has enabled all of that. And uh, I have to say, you know, coming from traditional biotech and, and, you know, it's a very competitive fundraising space. You know, a lot of those uh, institutional investors are not really into, into cannabis yet. Um, they're starting to look at it actually. So it's, it's starting to happen. Um, so, you know, we really had to build a new network of, uh, of investors, but it's a pretty exciting time. There's, there's a lot of, uh, of, of folks that are interested in investing. They see the opportunity. They see the potential. And so, um, you know, putting together a good business plan, having strong financials, a good team, uh, you know, I think uh, is kind of the keys to, uh, to, to drawing in some of that money. So um, you've you've successfully, you know, had, had two uh, investment rounds. Uh, you're you're you're. Expanding into California, I mean, big congratulations to you on you there. Was, you know, being as though you've only been around, you know, a couple of years. Um, what advice might you have for other entrepreneurs looking to get into this space? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, my my personal advice, you know, with with my experience, um, you know, in general. Uh, you know, starting a business, uh, you know, is a lot harder, I think, than, than people often realize. Um, and it, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication. And, you know, a lot of people uh, want to start it because they want to work for themselves or whatever their reasons might be. And, uh, you know, I think uh, to be successful at it, you know, you have to have your heart into it and you have to really believe in what you're doing and you have to be ready to dedicate and make sacrifices. Um, you know, it, uh, it can take a lot of long hours, you know, generally speaking, you know, looking at other industries, other businesses, which we have, you know, decades or, or even a century of, uh, of data on, you know, it can take three to five years to build a successful company that's stable uh, approaching uh, some level of profitability. And so, you know, that's three to five years of being down in the trenches, you know, starting from scratch, hiring people, building infrastructure, developing business plans, you know, building relationships, all the things that go into a business. And it takes a ton of time. And uh, so I think, you know, my advice is to, you know, make sure you're ready to sign up for that, you know, make sure that you're, you're ready to, uh, to dedicate that time and energy and, and that you believe in what you're doing. Um, and you want to go do it. And if you do that, you'll find that uh, the right people show up, you know, whether it's investors, customers, partners, and, you know, future employees, uh, you know, those, those, you begin to attract those types of people uh, when you've got that energy and you've got that drive out there and you're, you're, you're pursuing a goal. So uh, I, I think that's, that's, you know, one of my big pieces of advice is, you know, to get ready, you know, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work and, uh, and to be ready to make the commitment. 
Um, you know, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, to, to do your homework, you know, uh, don't rush into things. I think, um, spending a lot of time doing diligence, learning about the industry, learning about your potential target customers for your business model, uh, you know, learning about the regulatory constraints, uh, the different types of corporate structure that you could use, how you're going to make money, how you're going to pay taxes, you know, what types of employees you're going to hire. Doing your diligence on all of these pieces is really, really important. And I think a lot of times people start with an idea. And yeah, an idea is where it all begins. But there's so much more to it than just that idea. And a lot of times as you begin to explore these things, your idea will pivot or it will evolve. And uh, so I, I think early on, you know, not committing yourself too quickly to, oh, this is the company, this is what we're doing and just going out and doing it. But, you know, taking your time, learning about these different pieces. And then once you have a good model, uh, you know, then going for it. The last piece of advice I would give is to get uh, some good mentors in place. Um, you know, I'm a big believer. I've had amazing mentors in my life. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be here without them. And, you know, I think finding mentors that have experience, that have built companies, that have sold companies, that have, you know, built teams that know how to do this and can give you feedback and advice and support is really, really important. Um, I've got several mentors currently, and, uh, and, and so does my business partner, Nick. You know, it's a really important, uh, a really important piece of uh, being a successful entrepreneur. Well, look, I want to congratulate you one more time on you know all of your success thus far. Um, it's it's a really fascinating uh, thing that you're doing, and and I'm really uh, thankful that you took the opportunity to you know share it with me and explain it in a way that you know I could actually understand. That's uh, not an easy task. You know, when you're talking to a guy with absolutely no background in science. Well, well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm I really appreciate the opportunity, Tim, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that yeah. Hopefully, I was able to answer some questions and and shed some more light on it. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you and and having the chance to to tell more people about uh, what we're up to. Where can our listeners find out more about you, the company? So we have a website, www.frontrangebio.com. Uh, that's the, the easiest way. There's multiple links there to, um, to, uh, to reach out to us by email. Uh, my email address is jvaught at frontrangebio.com. That's J-V like Victor, A-U-G-H-T at uh, frontrangebio.com. Uh, you can email me directly. But uh, yeah, we're also uh, putting out some press releases. We're updating our website again over the next uh, month or so. So kind of stay tuned. Uh, you'll probably see some changes over, uh, over the coming weeks and months. Um, but yeah, that would be, uh, be, be the best place to, uh, to find out more. Well, man, I can't wait to you know get that press release to see how how uh, how much you raised in this uh, the second round of investment, and you know definitely keep us in the loop on uh, everything Front Range because it's it's really really fascinating stuff, uh, especially to me. Awesome. Well, well, thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll definitely stay in touch, and uh, yeah, we're we're excited to be a part of this industry and. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're going to go back to work. <laughs>
You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. <laughs>